So how is everyone's 2021 so far? Ah. And a hush falls over the crowd. Okay. So if I've learned anything, it's that 2021 is three 2020s in a trench coat. I mean, why? Elaborate why. I feel like I'm about to like list things and like you could probably set the beat to we didn't start the fire under it and it would work. So we've got this, this insurrection situation, which is bad. We have the highest COVID numbers that we've had so far, which is not surprising, but is still bad. We have this kind of weird social media purge implosion. Downtown DC is like completely shut down. Yeah. I have like, a couple friends who, who live and work down there. People need freedom papers in 2021. And it's very wild yeah. to the boy. It's very wild. off you want to introduce your friend cat yeah all right introduction Um, yeah you may know him from it's like a podcast or whatever's theater from our butts i know him as my weird best friend and sometimes brother i would like to introduce you all my lovely we should do that again sometime ease to matthew Matthew is joining us for our best of 2020 retrospective because he also likes movies and watches them sometimes. On occasion. (laughs) On occasion. It's come up. I watched way too many movies last year. Like on Letterboxd, I tried to track like all the new movies I watched or at least like new to me. And I got to 143. And that isn't kind of like like stuff I like rewatched or like those movies that I've watched like a second time. So I cannot do 143 again this year. Like I've only done like five this year so far, and it's already the third week of the year. So I feel like I watched a lot of movies last year, but I did not get close to that. I mean, you're watching big lifetime movies this year, so you're probably gonna lap me. So I mean, listen, Hallmark movies are a sacred space in this household. I mean, I also all the Christmas ones are over now, so like I don't care anymore. Uh, I didn't get to. I didn't non Christmas movies. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's a huge like winter one. Like there's a series of like a winter retreat in Vale, a winter proposal in Vale. Like uh, yeah, oh yeah. The caucasity of it all is immense. (laughs) It sounds like it. It sounds like it. But yeah, I, how many movies did I watch last year? I watched 115 films this year. Wow. For uh, 225 hours watched. And that's just movies you tracked, I'm guessing. I, I tracked everything I put in my eyeballs. Okay, well. Hey. And my most watched actor is Frank Oz. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, he was in all of that's... the the John uh, Landis movies. He was in Knives Out and he was in the Muppet movie. It's very on brand, to say the very least. 
I would say so. Uh, also, for those of you listening at home who's like, you only watch 220 hours worth of movies. I read 12,600 pages of literature last year also. So like, I would really politely request for you to get all the way off my fucking back. <laughs> Jump off the dick. <laughs> Re- realign your hip bones. Take a second. Look at your choices. Hilarious. According to this email, I reviewed 203 movies, which, Jesus. I reviewed 27. I mean, hey, you got to do what you got to do, man. Fuck it. But Matt, talk a little bit about your taste in movies. So what was some of the shit you were watching last year? Like, what movie were you in for 2020? Talk about your thesis. Ugh, do I have to? It's kind of why you're here. Yeah. So I'm a media studies major and I'm the thesis I'm currently writing is on the political ideology uh, of escapist film and so i'm i chose to watch to to use the marvel cinematic universe as a like an example so i'm currently in the process of watching through all 23 films of the mcu which doesn't sound like a lot but it is. it is it's a it's a lot have you watched them before your thesis i'm guessing that's why you chose them yeah i i'd watched all of them before but it's it's definitely very different watching them like i hadn't seen the original iron man since it came out and re-watching it i was like oh wow this is very like pro-imperialism and <laughs> like I, like i did i did i it was all i mean the the basic gist of the movie is like everything that, that the army does is good and any anyone who's opposed to the army is bad yes. <laughs> like that's the movie very much you're absolutely right john favreau you know he's yeah. interesting start but you know i think he's maybe he's made up for it with his recent shit but yeah iron man one that was very funny mm. okay but two of the most recent john favreau movies are the jungle book and the lion king both of which are about the values of conformity i mean over like actual individuality which directly goes against the message he made in chef by the way which is all about the benefits of individuality i think he's got to figure out his messaging because it's a little janky right now i think he does though just get mandalorian like it was definitely one of those grease in the palm type shits like the Mandalorian, like everything he's done for that, like it's you can kind of tell like he's taking his real time with that. But like those live action shits, like oh, are you actually watching the Mandalorian now? Hey man, we don't need to talk about all that right now. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that right now. I'll 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 get to Mando and whatever Baby Yoda's name is, like spoiled on the timeline. I'll get to that eventually this season. I, I watched like uh, the before series from. Uh, Richard Linkletter this weekend. It's very beautiful series. All of Dawson's Creek, for instance. Hey man, Dawson's Creek holds a mirror to reality and society for young teenagers in the coming of age in the late nineties. I mean, I'm just like my goal for this year is to watch the rest of the Scream movies. I really like that. That movie was like the unexpected winner of everything we watched for the podcast last year. Screen, not Alien. Well, Alien's like, I knew that. I knew Alien was good. So would you say Scream was a, the favorite movie we covered last year? I mean, we did cover Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which that I think is beautiful. 
is the best and most beautiful movie we covered last year. Objectively. Most beautiful, yes. Actually, I, I rewatched that like to I watched that on New Year's Day, like New Year's I like, night or whatever. Just need to buy the Criterion Collection Blu-ray for that because I have access to Hulu now, but it has ads, and there were going to be like 28 ad breaks Jesus. in it. And I was like, I want to watch it, but not like this. Like literally zero percent like this. So I think I'm just gonna buy the Criterion Collection. For personal enjoyment, I think it I think it might be Scream. Scream was really great. Scream I don't think really it was the best, but like I had the most fun watching that, I think. For me, if I had to pick, it's kind of my mindset of like what movies mean to me and like discovering new movies and falling mm-hmm. in love with them. I think the watermelon woman really was that for me. And yeah. If I did not do this podcast, I I may not have watched it. So I'm very happy I got a chance to. And you got to interview Cheryl Dunier and did an amazing, amazing job, which if you have not listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. What are you doing? Fake fan. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. I don't know why I'm feeling fighty tonight, but I'm feeling fighty. So I've, it's, it's back to being the Tyler Durden of the DMs. Like it's happening. Hey, it's, it's all happening. It's all happening. Matt. What would you say was your favorite thing you watched last year? It can be from any time period. It can be from anything. It's something I've watched a billion times, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's to this day, I would still put it in my top three movies of all time. Okay. And that is Clue. No. No, he's dead. Mr. Body. Dead. Again. Oh, my God. She's going to faint. Sorry, cancer. I'll catch him. Pour into my arms. Sorry. You've got blood on your hands. I didn't do it! He's got new injuries. Well, he's certainly dead now. Why would anyone want to kill him twice? Seems so unnecessary. That's what we call overkill. What we call a psychotic. Unless he wasn't dead before. What's the difference? That's what we're trying to find out! We're trying to find out who killed him, and where, and with what. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting! All right, I am. I'm shouting. I'm shouting. I'm shouting. <laughs> I watched Clue the other day. Clue is great. To this day, like when I'm just hanging out, I have that the music that plays in the, the last like half hour of the movie. Yeah. Um, where they're like all running. Oh my! It's I can't even explain how much I love it. But it's just it's one of those things that just like brings a smile to my face for the entire running time whenever I'm watching it. I'm going to go home and have sex with my wife. The other one for the pod that I would put on, like, I would say the most pleasant surprise list for me is uh, Postcards from the Edge. Yeah, that, that, was, that I, was a good one. I love it so much. And I was just thinking about it. I'm really, especially this year, I've been really bad at focus. And a lot of movies I was not able to put my phone down and just engage with. Or not be constantly clicking a pen or thinking about what my next drink was going to be or whatever, you know. And Postcards from the Edge just, like, grabbed me right away. And part of that may just be because I really do love Carrie Fisher. But I don't think that was what it really was about. It was so well acted and so well performed and so well written, which I guess is Carrie Fisher's thing. But, like, (laughs) it was so engaging from the jump in a way that felt real to me 
and like relatable to me. So I would put that in like most pleasant surprise as well. Not for the podcast though. I revisited A Hard Day's Night, the uh, Beatles movie from 1964. Okay. And uh, I 200% did not realize as like an infant how much that movie kind of formed my sense of humor. <laughs> because there's a lot of really weird, dumb, bad jokes in it. But like, that's my brand. It's <laughs> very um, brand. And also like, the thing is still great. I have like a Zoom plans to watch it with a couple of my friends who haven't seen it yet this week. Nice. Just watch the thing. Also, John Carpenter has a podcast coming soon. So uh, listen to his podcast. Also, and this is for one specific Facebook friend who I know who doesn't listen to the podcast. Congratulations on finding John Carpenter's personal number. Stop calling him. Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Malachi. And this is Alejandra. And you're sitting on the couch and your life is passing you by because you're not watching Insert Name Here. Catch us Wednesdays at 8 p.m. on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you missed us, you can catch us on Friday on Spotify and Amazon. Yeah, obvious nonsense, gang, gang. Hyphen Podcast Squad, you never take us down. With today being MLK Day, we're recording us MLK Day. I think the best thing I watched, I already talked about it on the on a couple episodes, I think already, so I'm not gonna go too much into it, but documentary called King, a film record, Montgomery to Memphis, is literally just primary source material of Marley the King during the late sixties. And it follows him basically from the Montgomery Boys boycotts all the way up until um, he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. If you really are looking for context for what the I Have a Dream speech was, that's a very, very, very great documentary to watch. I uh, can't recommend that enough. Matt, what's something else that you watched last year that floated your boat? One of the movies that actually came out recently that I, I really, really enjoyed was The Lovebirds uh, with Kamel Nanjiani and Issa Rae. Okay. It's, I think, a Netflix exclusive. I think you're right. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, it's sort of romantic, but it, I mean, it's mainly a comedy. This couple that's been together for a long time, and they're basically they're they're about to break up, and they're fighting in the car, and they hit someone with their car, and then the person that they hit with their car basically gets up sort of steals their car and uses their car to go murder someone and that then runs away and the two of them are caught like and have to go on the run and like basically solve the murder themselves while sort of staying out of trouble and stuff and super funny and like if if you like anything that Kamil Nanjiani has done he was also one of the writers in it so yeah. It's it's very much his type of humor. I wasn't expecting too much of it, and it just kind of blew me away. I know you said it's not necessarily like a romantic comedy, but was it like more the humor side or the, the romance side? Uh, sort of both, because um, it they kind of tie together to some extent, because it's like sort of through this adversity they sort of grow closer together again. Yeah, I don't know. I just I would definitely recommend it. It's I don't know an hour forty five or something, so it's. You can put on watch whenever. I feel like that was like very slept on this year because I I feel like we heard so much about like Palm Springs, like a great movie that you can stream right now. And like you like mentioned that movie earlier today to me and I was like, the what? I I totally did not see any content really around that. 
I would like to check it out because I was like, oh, right. Like, yeah, I haven't heard anyone talk about the movie, honestly. And Netflix is kind of iffy with what they choose to promote. Like if if it's like Stranger Things, like that's one thing. But like this movie starting two brown people in a romance comedy. So, yeah, you know, we'll frisbee it out there, you know, see what happens. But if I remember correctly, it came out around the same time as Queen's Gambit. And so oh. like, that, in, like that entire month, it was nothing but advertising that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah lost in the shuffle, basically. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Issa. The last season, well, the next season of Insecure, whenever it comes out, is going to be the last season of Insecure. I think her presence in movies, the only movie I actually saw, I watched with her in it, it was this year, The Photograph with uh, Lakeith Stanfield. It's, it's a very beautiful movie. It's really, it's kind of a slower pace, like romance movie, but it has like a lot of soul and a lot of heart to it. And I think she did, I think she was well in it, but Lakeith Stanfield, you know, he's, his acting chops are like really strong. And I don't know if you guys know the actor. Uh, he starred in Waves and in Loose. Calvin Harrison, like he's like in a bit part in it, but like he's actually a talented actor also. So I think Issa does a pretty good job in building characters but i think she's trying to now pivot to like i just want to be like a regular actress or maybe even a comedy actress so hopefully she can kind of flourish in that cat so we talked a little bit about this off camera Mm -hmm. but your favorite episode of (laughs) we should do this again sometime you told me off camera that it was a couple between 21 boing salute and uh deleted scenes six is that still your favorite series of recordings that we've done is deleted scene that's the kellen one right yeah yeah i so far i'm gonna go with so far okay i love our episodes with guests i think we totally hold it down when we have people but or we don't have people it's just us i think we're very smart and very funny which (laughs) makes us fun to listen to but I love the energy that a guest brings. I think that our episode with David Avalone is also excellent. Yeah. Uh, and I've gotten that feedback from several other people. And not all of those people are us. Like, <laughs> um, it's not it's not just Kellen and also David being like, that was good. Like, um, yeah. so I, I like when we have other people with us. And I think that some of the best work that we've done has been dealing with other people's expectations of whatever we're watching. Yeah. So I think the conversation about Christopher Nolan that we had with Dan Fox was really strong. Are we going to have another Nolan conversation? Because I don't know if I can anymore. I feel like if we have like another Nolan conversation, it has to be like the final, like tombstone conversation. I will come with note cards and like moderate a conversation between you and dan fox but i can't go on like this um (laughs) (laughs) so you know if that's a thing we need to arrange i'll arrange it but i think that our comedy was really good with kellen yeah i think that and so that means that not only the episode but the stuff that didn't make the episode is is very funny i don't know if that's necessarily our best 
pieces of criticism, but those are the ones that I laughed the most listening to. Like our our top 10 romantic movies episode or top seven or whatever it wound up being, I think is your best, some of your best editing. Thank you. Appreciate you made that. me cry listening to my own voice. Like <laughs> that is honestly like looking over the last year's worth of, of podcasts that we've done. I'm really impressed with how all of us have grown. Yeah. And that includes some of our guests. Like even just reading from like the texts we all sent beforehand to the end of the episode, I think make for a really interesting story. And obviously the people who listen aren't going to, I'm not reading everyone's text messages live. Stop asking. (laughs) But like the fact that Kellen just jumped right in with like, I have my note cards. I have my theories about the thing. I have my opinions about how hot Kurt Russell is. And like, I'm ready. I listen to the podcast. I know what y'all talk about. And like, basically came in you know i'm i'm kellen and i'm here to make it clear like was very (laughs) basically i think he was the most prepared and because of that we could just go yeah definitely i think the funnest i had it was making you watch die hard jingle all the way and go (laughs) go is so fucking wild yeah so matthew watched die hard and half of jingle all the way with me I was very glad that I had to leave. No! Jingle all the way. This is America. We love Arnold Schwarzenegger in America. You put that cookie I, down. I, I refuse to accept that that was Arnold. I, I, I choose to, to believe that that was... Dolph Lundgren in a wig. I was going to say a robot in a skin suit. <laughs> oh my God. Do you mean the plot of Terminator? Yes. Um, that was a Terminator. It wasn't Arnold. It was a Terminator. So you're saying you don't like the comedic genius of one Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, I love I love Arnold in uh, Junior. He's great in that. Yeah, Junior's good. But that's it, Junior. Like, not even. What about True Lies? Have you seen True Lies? Uh, I haven't seen it. No. Oh, I like his comedy acting in Terminator Dark Fate. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, listen, I think that movie has a lot of problems, but I also think it has a lot of bright spots. And him going solid colors for a little girl like about drapery in the middle of this very tense scene and clearly it's making everybody else in the scene feel more comfortable like he he's very funny and he serves his purpose very well he's the unifying force that actually allows them to do the thing and like you know what his character works the rest of the movie i don't know but like he is there for a reason and he does the thing and he does it well Cat said the uni- the unifying force, yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a unifying force of 1990s movies in America. You're absolutely right about that. However, Jingle All the Way is not... It's a classic. A classic what? A classic Christmas movie. I... There are already too many cl- classic Christmas movies. There are only 25 days of Christmas. Hey. There, are, there are way more... Even if you're watching three movies a day, you still wouldn't be able to watch all of them. But also, I think that Jingle All the Way, at least from my perspective, is a very narrow view of what Christmas actually is. And as I said in the episode, and I stand by this, the fact that this whole movie is about him proving his devotion to his family that he is then carried away from by a mob at the end. So the movie doesn't even end with the three of them together. It ends with him being separated from his family now due to a different obligation. I mean, hey, man. It, like, what? 
nothing happens, nothing is learned, and Christmas isn't even saved. Like, he doesn't... Oh, he saves Christmas for his son, not his wife, but his son. Yeah, well, listen, don't be surprised if he comes home and not Phil Hartman, because we've made it clear she's not into Phil Hartman, but some other man is all up in her cookies, all right? That marriage is over. And like the fact that it's not addressed or dealt with in any way, I'm like, I'm glad this like last weekend is good for this kid before his life goes to shit by the end of the year. Like, hey man, he needs one more memory to hold on to, man. <sighs> in divorce court, they're gonna decide who gets to wear the Turbo Man suit every Christmas or not. They're gonna rotate every fucking Christmas. <laughs> I just there is so much of that movie is cynical garbage that it made me feel like actively not even like not in the Christmas mood. I was like, yeah, everyone's right. Christmas is a mistake. Like we should have discontinued the holiday years and years ago. What I want is a a true Christmas tale in which the beggars of the town nominate the King beggar who then all of them go to rich people's houses and demand food. And if you don't give them food, they beat the shit out of you. So you want Christmas purged? Yeah, (laughs) basically. Basically, yes. (laughs) I mean, you can write that and sell to Blumhouse. Blumhouse is... Blumhouse doesn't get out of the way. Blumhouse, I fuck with Blumhouse with their fucking... Yeah, Blumhouse will give you 600 bucks for it. (laughs) Like, they'll option your script for $600 and a handle a Jim Beam. I'll take it. (laughs) I know you will. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of good comedy in that movie, and I like a lot of the ideas of it, but it is so mean-spirited that I feel it it defeats its own purpose in a lot of ways. I was kind of hoping that Arnold wouldn't succeed so Mrs. Arnold could get on with her life. I hold men to standards. I'm sorry. Hey, man, that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. (laughs) I mean, listen... It's something I had to learn the hard way. (laughs) But like sometimes expectations are okay. Don't tell men that, please don't. Listen, if they know, then they'll know to start skirting, skirting in a whole different. (laughs) Do you have any idea how many ways men will come up with to not be responsible for things? Because I'm learning it's a lot. (laughs) I know. Trust me, I know. So I'm not trying to give give them a new toolbox to play with. What are you going to give them for Christmas then? If there's one thing I know for, from advertisements, the only gift you can get a man is a toolbox. A Ford F-150 with a big-ass bow on a hood. <laughs> to get back to the best of the year, I kind of forgot that Wendy came out last year. Oh, that was the last thing I ever saw in movie theater, so I did not Yeah, that. I'm giving that my, like, one of my, one of my top three spots. Yeah. I think that... It is a movie that when I initially watched it, I thought I would never want to watch again. And since then have thought unflinchingly positive things about and gone, you know, I should really watch that again. Uh, And also the soundtrack slaps and I listen to it all the time. It hangs together really well as a movie independently of the, the story it's based on. I think it's aesthetic sensibilities are really strong. I think it's emotional sensibilities are really strong. And I think that even if you had never heard of Peter Pan, like the story of Peter Pan in your life, I think you would still get the clear emotional stakes very quickly. And if you are very familiar with Peter Pan, 
like I am, it subverts your expectations in a way that doesn't feel cheap. Yeah. But it's still, you want to learn more. I don't know if we're doing a ranked list, but I'm, I'm giving that one of my spots in the, in the pantheon of 2020. And if it wasn't for this podcast, I know for sure I would not have watched Wendy. I know I've forgotten that, I'm sure. But Wendy was a very sweet and very endearing movie, so I really fuck with it. I think the last thing I kind of want to shout out is this document, uh, documentary that's on Prime only. Uh, it's called Time. My name is Sybil Richardson, and uh, my family is waiting on a ruling regarding my husband's matter. I was just wondering if you might have any information on, like, an update on it. No, we don't have anything. Yeah, just with us on Monday. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Civil again. Mm-hmm. Where you no, we don't have anything. Alrighty, thank you so much. My twins will be 18 next month. They have absolutely no idea what it means to have a father in their house. What fathers even do. Hello. Did you get any word from over at the big house no, today? Yeah. Nothing yet? No. Okay. You got a chance to call today? I have not. No? Okay. Time follows um, this woman who, uh, she's from Louisiana, I believe, and is basically following her journey to fighting for her husband to get out of jail. And it's half primary source video of her journey in like the nineties and the two thousands, like doing nothing but home videos of like her trying to like get him out of jail, but then also her becoming like basically like an abolitionist in in a lot of ways and some current day stuff with her and her family. And then still trying to fight to get this guy out of jail. It's remarkably made. Like I was, I was laid in my ass when I watched it. It was a really great movie. Well, documentary. It's a documentary. It's not. It's all real. It's all real life. If we're talking about really good documentaries from this year, I'm going to just plug uh, Halix Live from the Space Stage real quick. It was an entirely backer-funded documentary about a very real rock band that was only together for one summer at Disneyland. And I had heard their music in a podcast that I enjoyed. Uh, and did not realize that they had this whole complex history. And they had a, a really a quick rise, but a really complex and fascinating fall. And it was really a joy to learn about. And it is available for free on YouTube. Nice. So you have no reason to not watch it. All art should be free. <laughs> Matt, was there any documentary last year that caught your eye? The only one I really remember watching was My Octopus Teacher. Hey, what's that about? This guy who basically spends, I have a feeling he might have gotten laid off or something, but he spends every day for like a year and a half or something like that, just going and spending time with this octopus to like get it used to him and sort of like seeing how it lives and like 
trying to have this kind of bond with the octopus. Okay. Um, and it, it sort of tracks his like journey of like, he started seeing through the octopus eyes and like seeing the ocean differently. And so like he would see like, Oh, well, that's, that would be a safe place for the octopus to go. Or like, that would be a good place for it to like do this or that or whatever. Um, okay. And it's very well made. And like, I'd heard good things about it, but I wasn't going into it. I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, okay. And so it just kind of surprised me. It was very good though. So it's available on Netflix only in case anyone wants to check that out. Speaking of Netflix, not promoting shit. I didn't know a clue about this movie. So so yeah, maybe worthwhile checking out. I would like to quickly throw out who who my poll for best director of the year was, or at least like did the most stuff I was excited about. And I would like to throw it out to Spike Lee for, in my opinion, absolutely slaying the game this year. <laughs> I think between his The Five Bloods, which is maybe the best movie I watched this year, just objectively. Yeah. To American Utopia, which showcases just how good he is with camera and storytelling. Yes. Because for those of you that don't know, American Utopia is a pre existing Broadway show designed, choreographed, and written by David Byrne with some help from other choreographers and whatever. But it was filmed for home release by Spike Lee and uh, directed for video consumption by Spike Lee. And he did such an amazing job of escalating the storytelling in a way that we would never get to experience in a theater while still making it feel like a live performance that we just happened to be experiencing in this very specific way. And I think between the kind of home run writing and storytelling of the five bloods to this very stripped down scrappy filming and putting that in quotes of a Broadway show. Yeah. Uh, we were really able to see just how much range Spike Lee still has. Yeah. And I think that the, the fact that he was able to make a movie that I hope to God wins an Oscar. Cause I think it deserves it. to this kind of like weird collaborative performance art project is really a metaphor for, for, or not even a metaphor, uh, just like a guide for how people should be. You should make your own art to help kind of create a a more interesting landscape, especially when so much of what we consume right now, because we're homebound or whatever it is, is through our screens. Yeah. Spike has always had an affinity for, for music. His dad was... Uh, a jazz musician so he grew up in a household with music all of his movies have some layer of musicality executed greatly behind it so it's really not surprised he pulled it off like american toby was like really really well made I, i really fuck with it a lot yeah and i also think that david byrne is notoriously difficult to work with (laughs) <laughs> so I think it really speaks to Spike Lee's mastery of movie making craft that yeah. David Byrne was even willing to collaborate with him on it and vice versa. Yeah. And I think that certain shots, especially uh, there's one in uh, I want to watch TV
it's so close to the the scrim of the stage. Yeah. And there that if we were sitting in an audience, we would never see anything like this in a million years. And you can see David Byrne breathing on the other side of this scrim that's being lit and strobed and and flashing and crazy. And it's such a humanizing moment in the middle of this production. Yeah. And when you see the marching bands from above and you see all these things, all these layers that you wouldn't normally see. I still want to go see it in a theater because I know that's going to be a very different experience. Yeah. But not more or less valuable, just different. It's funny you brought up that scene. Like I think that was my favorite scene of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Ex- executed exquisitely well. And I think that it takes a really special kind of person to film a pre-existing piece of art and not make it feel like it was just filming a pre-existing piece of art. Yeah, definitely. And even circling back to the five bloods, there were Lindo's performance in that. I don't think I've seen a better performance this, this year from a male actor. I would agree. I also think that it has some of the most just compelling stories, variety of stories. Yeah. In a picture that, that came out this year while still being like a reasonable length. Oh, uh, yes. Sh- yes. Shout out to not being the Irishman. Live from an undisclosed location in a basement in New York City, it's me, Craig, ruler, well, mayor of Dimension X and the producer of the hottest new pod in that dimension or this one, the Shredhead Pod, starring the Blasian Batty, aka Google Chrome Dome, aka Ado Nobu Nigga, aka my best friend, Oroku Saki, aka the shredder and we put aside our differences with the ninja turtles to be your weekly source of hot takes sports and entertainment news stay all the way and hear who saki is named as his cretin of the week and find something valuable in the shred commendations so we'll see you on apple stitcher spotify or wherever your pods are casts the shredhead pod is a member of the hyphen podcast group On from 2020, now to 2021. Cat, what would you say is your most anticipated movie for this year? And keep in mind, obviously, Hollywood is still trying to pump movies into theaters. And they're trying to really back in and push back these movies as much as possible. But I know you're I know, definitely not thinking about going to the movie theaters this year, at least. Yet, at least. But what is something you're looking forward to in 2021? Dude. I know we've talked about it a lot on this podcast and I'm sorry to to be boring and predictable, but I am really excited and cautiously optimistic about Dune. I want it to be good. I hope it's good. I hope that Timothy Chalamet proves his worth to me finally. I would also say that I am cautiously excited about Black Widow. I... Mm. The only reason that I'm cautiously excited is because I think it is time to have more female-led stories. And as long as it makes money, we'll get more. So you're only looking forward to it for what it could do for other movies, not what the movie will actually be about. If it's good, that's icing, as far as I'm concerned. I'm sure that sounds pretty bad. I think the way that they've handled Black Widow in the movies till now is bad. 
I think that that snort that Matthew just made was accurate and real to me. And I don't want that to keep being a thing, but it's going to be so. Matt, actually extrapolate that because you're, I think you're going to be our go-to MCU correspondent from now on. Like you're, you're studying this on, on a scholastic level. So do you agree with Kat that the MCU done a piss poor job of handling the Black Widow character? Yes. And I, I think a lot of it comes down to a lot of her character development is in Age of Ultron and her, the character development in that movie for her was basically like she can't have kids and so she's a monster and that's not what you want and like there are a couple other things i, I don't know it's just may, may, may i i'm gonna anyway um okay cool so at the time she was really the only female character in the mcu and they were slowly introducing scarlet witch and like okay fine i have my own issues with her most of which are because they're <laughs> Uh, Joss Whedon can't write women change my mind so anyway my biggest issue with the portrayal of Black Widow in Age of Ultron and going forward from there but it really starts in Age of Ultron is that because she is unable to be like a traditional woman she is othered from that group whether or not that is done deliberately the line that she says is I cannot have children I am a monster it's not what you want it's not what you want and also not true like women have like picos and can't have children some Mm. women are just born sterile some women are sterilized because of legitimate health reasons some women have cancer and that does not make them monstrous yeah you're taking the first strong woman that you've introduced and going well she's not really a woman is she and that's horrible it's also putting aside the the really shitty portrayal of what it means to be a woman or whatever, which I don't know anything about, but putting putting that aside even, it's not even an interesting way to tell a story. So if you look at the exact, like pretty much the same character archetype in a different story, so Yennefer from the Witcher series, the exact same like thing, she was made to be like a in this case a sorceress and as part of her training she had she had her her uterus removed and then like 15 20 years later she wants to have kids but she can't rather than saying i can't have kids i'm a monster she proceeds to effectively just take a shit on the entirety of the world in order to try to get enough magic to create a new uterus for herself and basically says fuck your shit i'm doing what i want i can both have magic and a baby fuck you (laughs) which is a much more interesting idea for a story rather than just i'm sad and i don't want anyone to come near me i'd also like to tag on that in the context of the conversation that she's having her partner also can't conceive for very legitimate reasons And he's just cool. Like, it's great that he can't conceive. That has no value on his manliness. But because she can't conceive, she is a monster. And thus begins the flattening of her character. Yeah. They never really invest in her again. So to move on to the next woman they introduce, Scarlet Witch, all she does is look pretty and get traumatized. And lose her accent with each coming movie. 
she is basically like Fantine from Les Miserables, where she's like standing there and she's like, it's going to get better. I just know it. And then her brother gets murdered and she's like, okay, but at least I met this nice man. And then this nice man gets murdered and she's like, guess I'll die. So the MCU has a real woman problem. I was going to say, is there a single female character in the MCU who isn't at some point in the series used as a way to like whose suffering isn't used as a way for a man's character to be developed yes the female friend in captain marvel she is only used so that her female friend who's a butch lesbian can grow also like not trying to be a petty queen here But if you have read the Captain Marvel comics, which I have and I enjoy a great deal, one of the things that I always loved about Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, is that she is strong and intelligent and a leader and she is feminine. She wears lipstick and that is not shown as a sign of weakness. She doesn't have to be a butch lesbian, one of the guys styled women to be a leader and to be taken seriously. And between the flattening of Black Widow to just kind of being willing to, like, die because it's the right thing to do and, you know, to being bros with Captain America, which is a great arc for her, although he does not once look sad when she dies, (laughs) which, oof, to the only character that I would say is, is allowed to be feminine consistently being traumatized to... Basically, Carol Danvers and Black Widow being roughly interchangeable personality-wise. I... <laughs> I, I, think the, I think the only movie that, that probably gets woman the closest to right is probably Black Panther. The woman in that movie and Wakanda are so equal to the men that the equality is just there. Like, there's no, there's no speeches to be made. Like, there's no, like, second-guessing, like, who kowtows to who, like... Mm-hmm. They actually handled it in a way that was actually really pretty great, to be quite yes. frank. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Now, are they going to do that for the future? And also, these are and also these these are all side characters to T'Challa and to Killmonger. So, mm-hmm. you know that that is a small caveat. But that's one movie in twenty four now. That's, yeah, that's a low ass average, boy. It's a low. But ass also, average. Marvel has this thing. And, and this has always been a thing where in order for them to, to have these women, they're always like hyper competent. Pepper Potts knows what's going on all the time. She knows exactly how much of the like company she owns. She knows exactly how much she's hyper competent. She is Stark Industries. Yeah. Black Widow is hyper competent. She basically is like she she knows everything that's happening at S.H.I.E.L.D. Captain Marvel is hyper competent. She is running the galaxy. Gamora is hyper-competent. She can kill anything that moves. Nebula, same thing. Where are my women that, like, like, Mantis is the only one where her emotionality is remotely (laughs) portrayed as anything positive. And even then, she's repeatedly, like, hit in the face, and it's supposed to be funny. She's she's stomped on, and it's... Right. And she's, like, the only one that has any, like, legitimate feelings besides just, like, trauma! Like, but also, like... You know, Elizabeth Olsen can't, like, scream very much because it makes her look, like, not pretty. And I, she has to, like, have her tits out to hya. And, like, her face has to be, like, distressed but pretty because, like, yes. Joss never, Whedon, Joss Whedon and his unattractive. rape fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Um, But it's y'all that, aren't ready for that conversation, and that's fine. Is that whole balance of, like, rationality and emotion 
that mm-hmm. men I don't I don't, I don't really have no clue where genesis of this but whatever but they just don't do a good job in having these women be emotional in a good way we're gonna let our mcu scholar if you want to make a final point do you want to make a final point about the mcu it's just something i was i've been thinking about while watching it in the entirety of the mcu there is only one time in the entirety of the series in which the solution is not kill the villain oh civil war (laughs) civil war yes and the person who makes that decision is black panther the black guy yeah and it's every other time it's in order to deal with this problem we have to kill it yeah and that i mean that kind of says everything about how the MCU views the world as just like, yeah. And yet they won't speak out about killing Nazis. Weird. I mean, yeah. They they made a movie about it, but suddenly now that it's real, they're like, hey. Man. hey. To, to continue on to things I'm excited about for 2021, I'm really excited about In the Heights. Oh, okay. um, I love me a musical. I like Lin-Manuel Miranda a lot. And I think the cast of In the Heights sounds amazing. And I hope that it is kind of a revitalization of that phenomenon that Hamilton ignited, reignited, I should say, In the Heights ignited initially of like, oh, right. Like non-white actors can do Broadway because it's gotten better in a lot of ways, but it, it hasn't really. I'm pre- Lin-Manuel Miranda, it was just, you can be in The Lion King, and that's it. Or you can can be Billy Porter. (laughs) Basically. I'm also excited about Candyman. Uh, I hope that is well done and as creative as it looks. Although, I'll be honest, uh, I watched the first, like, third of Antebellum, and I could not, I couldn't do it. So if that's the next kind of step in that progression is like, we'll produce anything. I don't, I, I hope Candyman is good, but I'm not optimistic. I heard Antebellum was a big letdown for a lot of people. So I'm not necessarily surprised by that take. I don't mean to be like cavalier about it, but it was slavery torture porn. And I don't know if it was to make white people feel bad because it kind of failed that or if it was to just be like a horror movie of like oh my god i can't believe we did that because that didn't have any strong moral implication it was very i didn't i could not get a grip on who it was for and also it was so poorly shot and like made oh wow that i had really no desire to engage with it past a certain point um and maybe that's my my white privilege showing but like well, I, I couldn't do it. I've seen I've seen even black horror fans talk about Antebellum being a disappointment. So um, I don't think. Well, and also a good thing the woman that directed Candyman did not direct Antebellum, so that's that's a good sign. I have a lot of high hopes for Candyman. Also, I'm surprised you didn't talk about. Uh, maybe you were, but I'm surprised you didn't bring up Halloween Kills. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. I tend to find that I have diminishing returns with horror sequels. However, I really, really love the 2018 Halloween, and I really, really think we're in good hands. And J.B. Lee Curtis is excited about it, and that's enough of a sign-off for me. John Carpenter is a little more involved in this one. He's posted pictures with the script and the masks and all that good (laughs) stuff, 
So like, listen, if if John's in, I'm in. Matt, what's uh? So what's the movie you're looking forward to this year? The only thing I'm looking at is Last Night in Soho, um, okay. and purely because it's uh, Edgar Wright's next movie. Who I I think Edgar Wright can do no wrong. Um, I will watch every movie that he comes out with for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah so hopefully it's good something i'm looking forward to judas and the black messiah is basically following the events leading up to the murder of fred hampton by the chicago police and it's coming out black history month so it's gonna be very tricky with me and white people for a while (laughs) but i mean the actors in it it's it's remarkably talented actors who are going to be in it. Daniel Kilia, uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. Oh, Jesse Plemons. Plemons. Yeah. Uh, is Jesse Plemons, is he going to be like the new racist white man? Probably. <laughs> Apparently Martin Sheen is playing J. Edgar Hoover. Holy <laughs> fuck. Which... <laughs> totally in now. Holy fuck. Jeez. Hey man, this shit's gonna be a fucking barn burner, boy. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah. Oh wow, the kid that was in Moonlight—he's gonna be in it. Ashton Sanders. Mm-hmm. Oh, likely uh, yeah. gonna be crying her fucking eyeballs out. So, in the era of COVID, where you gotta give us six feet, you gotta give us twelve feet when this movie comes out, boy. Like, it's gonna be mad hard. It's gonna be mad hard. Follow Cat at cat underscore chinetti on twitter twitch instagram and letterboxd follow marcus at show and mad love s-h-o-w-i-n-m-a-d-l-o-v on twitter and letterboxd follow the show on twitter at cat and marks and join our we should do this again sometime facebook group be sure to read us at cat movies.tumblr.com and the mark rob t-h-e-m-a-r-c-r-o-b dot wordpress.com This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. Cheer. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?